Is transparency the new throwaway word? And what do plan fiduciaries really need to know to make good plan decisions? We'll find out on this episode of Shift Shapers. Change either paralyzes or energizes. The choice is yours. You're listening to the Shift Shapers Podcast. You're about to learn firsthand from businesses and entrepreneurs who have successfully shaped the shifts in their industries. Get ready to become the change that you want to see. Here's your host and Chief Transformation Strategist, David Saltzman. This episode of the Shift Shapers Podcast is brought to you by Captivated Health, a captive insurance arrangement designed specifically for educational institutions. If you have clients in that vertical, you know the healthcare deck has been stacked against them. Today, Captivated Health offers the stability, control, and savings they've been waiting for. For more information, go to www.captivatedhealth.com or click on the company logo on the Shift Shapers website. We're at the Ascend Conference here in Nashville, Tennessee, and we ran into Rick Perryman. Rick is the national practice leader for a really innovative company called TrendShift, dealing with a whole range of issues that are really important to the self-insured practice area. And so we thought we'd spend a little bit of time. And Rick, thank you for sharing your expertise with the Shift Shapers audience. Thanks. Pleasure to be here. You mentioned in our pre-conversation that transparency is the new throwaway word. I never heard anybody kind of refer to it that way. What do you mean by that? Well, I attended a lot of these conferences like you do, and um, all the talk is about transparency. So lots of companies out there calling themselves transparency companies. And virtually every Fortune 500 company we encounter believe that they have a transparent pharmacy benefit management contract, as an example. And uh, lo and behold, they don't. Um, And so when I ask them, what does transparency mean to you? It clearly hasn't been defined. So transparency is one of those words that unless very specifically defined, as in this marketplace, really doesn't mean anything. So what is what's the definition that you'd prefer to see? Because you know we've talked to a lot of people about transparency on the podcast, and everybody's kind of got their own vantage point. Kind of you know where you stand on that issue depends on where you sit. Right. How would you define it? Yeah, we we believe there's only one safe haven for self-insured employers because there's this thing out there called ERISA, and ERISA's rules are undeniable. They're unambiguous. And essentially what they say is a self-insured employer, those planned fiduciaries for that self-insured health plan have to know and understand what value they're getting for the money that's being spent. And by and large, they have no idea because until they have the insight into their plan and this level of transparency, we call fiduciary level transparency, meaning would it stand the test of fiduciary as defined by ERISA? By the way, we've never seen a plan that would. That's interesting. And, you know, the self-insured plan's been around forever, ERISA right. for almost ever. And I, I wonder, you know, when you start talking about some of the transparency that these self-insured plans need, what are the tools that, that they need to have in order to make those appropriate fiduciary decisions? Yeah, great question. Really, it's unmapped data. So one of the things that we instruct our self-insured employers to request or in fact, demand from their health insurance carriers or third-party administrators is an unmapped data set sent specifically to TrendShift. Define unmapped for us. So uh, unmapped meaning when employers ask for data, typically from a health insurance carrier, they'll ask, here's our data map. We'll send it to you in these maps, meaning they're going to put the data in a very specific format, which makes it very difficult to put that puzzle back together in a way that you'll get real transparency. So one of the things we specifically ask for is just all the data in its raw and unmapped way. 
we then map the data in our algorithms. Because when you map the data and you apply rules around transparency that meet the ERISA standards for fiduciary, it changes the view forever. So we take this unmapped data, and then writ large, what happens to it? What, what insights do you gain from that? How do you present, or more to the point, how does an employer look for data that's actionable? Right, exactly. So we run what's called an opportunity analysis. So within the opportunity analysis, we're going to find waste, fraud, abuse, and inefficiencies in access and delivery. Once that's understood by the employer, they can then begin to understand what can be done about that very specifically. And then those turnkey solutions become very obvious to them. Could you give us an example? Sure. It can be contracting issues. So it can be as simple as contract language in your PBM contract that you didn't know and or understand that allows the pharmacy benefit manager to build in 6 to $10 of non-transparent spread pricing into every prescription. Once you know and understand the way that the game is played and the language in the contract very specifically allows that, so it's morally maybe wrong, but legally they're on solid ground. Most employers aren't okay with that ambiguous kind of financial information. So once they understand that there are opportunities out there, then it's just setting the course for how to correct those. And really it's about keeping vendors very honest. Because once they understand that that level of transparency is being applied to their data, most of the gamesmanship that occurs in healthcare stops. Well, and this is very new to a lot of self-insured employers and to a lot of plans. So if you're the plan fiduciary, what's the conversation like when you, let's use, let's continue to use the PBM as an example. What's that conversation like? Because I'll bet you that that there are very, very few self-insured plans who've had that conversation with a PBM. Virtually none. Is it just as simple as stop doing that? It's, uh, we've become aware of the business model. Nicer way to say it. Yeah, exactly. And if you talk to most self-insured employers, they'll all tell you the same thing. I cannot figure out how the PBMs make money. I don't understand it. Let us show you how they make money. Right? It's a very non-transparent. Through manipulation of pricing, they may have 15 different national drug codes and different prices for the same drug on a given day. They're going to choose the one that fits their bottom line the best based on the contract they have with you. So if you negotiated an AWP minus 15% and a $1.50 dispensing fee, they're going to charge you one price. But if you negotiated an AWP minus 40% and no dispensing fee, they're going to charge you a different price for the same drug. So they may have 15 or 18 prices for the same drug on a given day. Employers don't know that. And without knowing and understanding that, there's a problem. What kind of reaction do you get from an employer who, who learns of this all of a sudden and their eyes get opened? It ranges, Dave, from disbelief to anger. <laughs> and somewhere in between. But for us, and I think for a lot of folks in, in the insurance game out there, it's really about a disruptive technology which is really what's needed in this marketplace. So it's very specifically designed to deliberately disrupt the current thinking about how they've done this for the past 15 or 20 or 30 years. Well, so that's a great example on the pharma side, and pharma's driving an awful lot of the cost. Yep. It's probably the single largest driver, but how about an example on the medical side that might be maybe more relatable for your, yeah. our, our average listeners? Yeah. One of the things we're seeing a lot of right now is just looking at evaluation management codes. So evaluation management codes, for those that may or may not understand that, range from level 1, to level five. Level one is something very low complexity. People are here to refill a prescription. Level five is someone's bleeding profusely from the chest. They need to be in the emergency room. And as you might imagine, in the case of urgent care, it's a bell-shaped curve. The vast majority of those visits should be level three. You'll see some level fours. You'll see some level twos, occasionally a one and occasionally a five. 
And you look at the normal national distribution of evaluation management codes in urgent care facilities, and what you see is about 70% are level three. We had a, a client of ours in the Northeast who contracted with a urgent care center who had about 80 locations, and they had offered a $6 facility fee discount per visit if you sent your people to our urgent care. Sounds good, and they did. About 80% of the visits, all the urgent care visits, went to that one of those urgent care centers. And the net result of that was, when we looked at the data, that about 97.5% of those visits were level four evaluation management codes. Statistically impossible. So we call them in and we say, can you explain this? And at the end of the day, what had happened was they had implemented a new electronic medical record in the urgent care center, and the default was set to force doctors to essentially check the box for a level four evaluation management code. So they had certain things that they had to do within that visit, and it basically defaulted all those visits to level four evaluation management codes. It was a simple error on their side. It got corrected, but it was costing our client, the employer, about $1.8 million a year. That's great insights to have. We talked about unmapped data and some of the things that you gleaned from that. What are the other tools that that self-insured plans need to have these days? Because one of the things we were talking about off-air is is that we spend an awful lot of time in the industry looking out the rearview mirror rather than looking out the windshield. Is that that changing at all with all the data that we've got in the marketplace and the tools to sift through it? Yeah. It's really about real-time data, and real-time data really means having the ability to collect, normalize that data, and have someone act on that data simultaneously or in very near real time. Otherwise, we're data warehousing. Lots of folks doing a great job of data warehousing, but it's not going to solve an employer's problems. Because unless we can get the data and act on it in virtually real time, we'll never realize the value from that data. And real time is really where things are going. Now, that's the forward-looking opportunity for most employers, is having the data and having it occur in real time. Is that the same as predictive modeling, or do you take that real-time data and apply predictive modeling tools to it? Sure, you do You do both. Predictive modeling is going to give you a, a glimpse of what the future is likely to look like, unless we change some things. But the real-time enables you to act on that in real-time. Interesting. So, yeah, so the, the database grows over time and obviously perfects itself as time goes on. And now, a word from our sponsor. Captivated Health is a single-source solution for your clients and prospects who are in the education vertical. The founders of Captivated Health have nearly 20 years' experience working with educational institutions, and over that time, they've developed a keen understanding of the unique problems these clients experience. Frustrated by a lack of control, the unpredictability of ever-increasing health care costs, and the pressures and regulations of the Affordable Care Act, These groups have been adrift in the fully insured commercial marketplace until now. Captivated Health has built a program that solves those problems, and it does so with virtually no disruption to faculty and staff while saving clients millions of dollars. We wanted you to be among the first to know that Captivated Health is building a national distribution partner network so you can bring this cutting-edge solution to the educational clients you advise. To learn more about the Captivated Health solution, go to their website at www.captivatedhealth.com or click on their logo on the Shift Shapers website. And now, back to our interview. I'm a benefit advisor. This is not something that I've ever thought about, but I deal in the self-insured universe all the time. When you start training folks to like 
all of our audience or a lot of our audience to go out and see employers and to, and to bring these tools to them. What's that conversation like and, and how does the employer conversation go? Yeah, it's interesting, depending on who we're talking to, right? And so we've found that our best audience is someone who has balance sheet liability for the company. So our preferred audience is a CFO or CEO because they're going to understand that this money is going to fall to my bottom line next month, not potentially next year. HR directors, we have to do a little dance with HR directors because they may feel a bit threatened by what we're bringing forward. It is new technology. We want to ease them into understanding that this is new technology. This is nothing you've done wrong. This is all about having and applying new technology where it hasn't been applied before. So overall, I mean, are there, are there other tools that, that come into bear besides these two that we've spoken about? Population health would be the other kind of leg of the stool there. And so once we understand that one of the things we'll find out in the data as an example might be that, boy, you have 182 new diabetics over the last 12 months who are newly diagnosed diabetics. We look at the claims data, we see no record of them having any claims at all. No preventative screenings, really nothing. So they went from having no claims, meaning the insurance company thought they were the lowest risk people in the group, to having lots of claims. I mean, they fell into the highest risk question is, do we believe that? Do we believe that they went from no claims and low risk last year to lots of claims and very high risk this year? The truth is, they weren't low risk last year. We had an insufficient data set, typically, in the typical medical delivery system to understand that they weren't actually low risk. They were below the surface. They were subclinical. So they have multiple things very likely happening. Had we had a more robust biopredictive data set, and had we trended that data set over time, we would have seen all of these things begin to emerge. So when we talk to the actuarial types, we ask them the same question. How do you create predictability out of the chaos? They're going to tell you some version of the same story, which is if you give me enough data points and you trend those data points over time, I'll show you the patterns that emerge in that data that you wouldn't otherwise see. That's literally the logic that needs to be applied to this problem or this, this field we call wellness or population health. So how big a data set does a plan need in order for their data to be credible when you start trending it out like that? So it's both the individual data set that we have, so the number literally of biomarkers that we measure starts with that. If we measure four or five things, cholesterol, blood sugar, the typical things that get measured in a wellness program, understand that those are diagnostic of clinical endpoints. Those are used to diagnose conditions. So what I mean by that is by the time you have those, it's too late. By the time you ring that bell, you have already have diabetes. You already have whatever it might be. Another way to approach that is this concept that we call bioprediction. Bioprediction looks at it from a perspective of what are you likely to have in three to five years if you stay on this path. So the more important question for the vast majority of folks out there isn't where are you today from a biometric perspective. It's where are you today compared to where you were three years ago or five years ago, meaning what are you trending towards that you will absolutely have if you stay on this path. So starting with a much more robust bioprotective data set is a key to that. Measuring 50 or more things seems unheard of in a visit to most doctor's offices. Doctors just won't run that many panels because they have to justify that to an insurance company somewhere. But if you don't have to do that, and you can do that with efficiency, and you can plug that information into a a predictive algorithm, all of a sudden you're 10, 12 years in front of something like diabetes. So it's not the longitudinal dimension of the markers. It's how many you can measure on a given individual at the same time? It's both. Okay. So it starts with the total number, and then it becomes the longitudinal from there. So as you track 
multiple data points, 50 or more different biometric data points over time, you start to see pre-pre-diabetes as an example. Because long before someone is a diabetic, they have metabolic syndrome, four to five to seven years before that. Five to seven years before that, they have fatty liver disease. That's the path to diabetes in America in 2016. What does that benefit advisor employer conversation sound like? There's a risk, I guess, that bringing something like this in, a set of tools like this in, could seem like whiz-bang kind of yeah. science fiction stuff. Right. So if I'm an advisor and it's an existing client and I'm bringing this out, what's that conversation? For us, it begins and ends with the data because you can go to the data and you can confirm. If they do have a wellness program in place, you should be able to confirm and validate those findings in the data. If you can't, if you're still having folks that are diabetics that were diagnosed last year and had no claims before and no sign or symptoms that the doctor that it was on the doctor's radar at all, then you've got a problem. You have a system or and or a wellness program that's not delivering what it's supposed to be delivering. You need to look at a more robust data set. So for me, get away from the theory that it sounds good, it should work, you know, let's test everybody's cholesterol seems like a good idea. But if you don't have enough folks where you can prevent primary diagnoses, if you're just catching more things early, way better than catching them late, don't get me wrong, but let's don't kid ourselves at the same time. That's not prevention. You still have it. Is there a population size that lends itself to this at a, at a bottom end? We talk about typically 500 employees or so. Okay, and then sky's the limit. The more data, the more employees, the Absolutely. more predictable, just like risk. Absolutely. Yeah, bigger the group, the better. You'll so, get better data. A lot of the talk that we've heard is this end-to-end discussion. What does that mean? End-to-end, really, I think it has to do with being able to collect the data, run all of these different programs, whether it be access and delivery efficiencies or it be population health and, and really, but being able to come full circle uh, back around to the data and validate all of that. That's interesting. So we've got a couple of minutes left, and we always like to close the, the interviews by asking our guests where they see the future going. And, and in your case, I guess it's a very different vantage point than a lot of our guests. What do you see in the near, middle, and, and long term in the area we're talking about? Yeah. A great question. I see the insurance carriers and third-party administrators who embrace transparency flourishing. I see those who won't embrace transparency withering away. I just don't see them being in business three or five years from now because I think transparency is absolutely here to stay. But uh, transparency with a definition is here to stay because people are going to start asking the hard questions now around what does that really mean? Does it mean this, that, and so? And once they get educated and understand the right questions to ask, start to get better answers. Well, there's two schools of thought, and I'd be interested in your opinion. One school says that to get consumers who have been used to a patriarchal employer based system to start becoming more consumer-like is going to take a couple, three years. And other people think that it's going to be a generational change. Mm. I think it's going to be generational. I think to change behavior, I'm not the guy that's going to tell you human behavior isn't the most complicated thing on the planet because it is. (laughs) It is complicated. But you don't have to move that many people to move the needle fairly dramatically from a cost perspective. Remember, we've got 5% of the population drives 30 or 40% of the cost and you know, it, it, so on it goes from there. So moving a few people, a few very specific people can make a massive difference in most of these self-insured employers' healthcare costs. That's a great place to end our conversation for today. Rick Perriman, National Practice Leader of Trendshift. Rick, again, thanks you for sharing your thanks, expertise Dave. with our audience. The Shift Shapers podcast is a production of the Saltzman Group. We work with entrepreneurs, executives, and companies just like you to help shape the shifts in your business. 
To schedule a 20 minute call to learn more, visit our website at thesaltmangroup.com or call me directly at 803-386-8005. I'd love to hear from you. And while you're on our site, you can also click the podcast tab for the entire catalog of Shift Shapers episodes and to access some really great special offers. Give me a call at 803-386-8005 and learn how to put the secrets of the Ship Shapers to work in your business.